Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are talk full of that, man. All right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold sets up. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another spring football edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Let me go ahead and bring in the rest of the team so we can get to it. He is the master of the soundboard, Matt Butler. Matt, how are you, sir? Doing pretty well. How about yourself? I'm wonderful. And a man who is always wonderful because he is a renaissance man here on Longhorn Blitz and on the Austin Radio Network and the Horn 104.9 where you can hear him each and every weekday on the Rodcast from 1 to 3, Lifetime Longhorn Former Texas All-American, former draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003, a card-carrying member, dare I say, black card member of DBU. He will wear Ooh. that T-ring proudly whenever he gets it in, whenever he decides to go over there and make it happen. <laughs> number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Thanks Rod, for the intro, sir? brother. Appreciate it, as always. We're to rock and roll, gentlemen. Get right into it. I'm ready to get into it, man. All Let's right. Well, deep. well, what do you guys want to do first? You want to go over some injury tidbits or you want to go scrimmage big picture? Uh, I think injuries are bad news. So I'd rather do a bad news first always and then a, we'll get into the, to the scrimmage because then I think that's more good news to reflect on in the scrimmage. You're always a bad news guy first. Yes, yeah, so you right? were uh, yeah. talking. You had availability today. What were the, what was the news? Well, that was, injury talk, right? That was actually the big thing that yeah. came out of the availability. Bummer. So Sam Ellinger had an illness. Tom Herman said they cleared him for mumps. Got tested for mumps, which is nice. Man, uh, when's the last time you heard of somebody like with mumps? The mumps. That's been a, it's uh, been a minute. Do you get? Do you get? Um, yeah. Do you get vaccinated for mumps? Is it measles? Mors. Measles and mumps are different things, right? Yes, I, I measles, believe you do. Measles, yeah. mumps, and chicken pox are all different. Yep, I believe and you do. Yeah, it's one. So, do you get vaccinated for mumps? I don't know how that works. I don't think I've ever had mumps. Have you ever had mumps? No, I've, I've heard not, of no. mumps. I've never had mumps no, or I measles. Had I've had chicken pox, but not mumps. Or I just learned if you had chicken pox when you were a kid, you carried the virus that you can get shingles down the road. What's the difference between shingles oh my and God. chicken? What's shingles? No, dude, dude. Shingles, shingles is. is like supposed. My, I have, have you my had buddy shingles? that I consider no, but my best friend has, and he's the toughest dude I know, and he says no pain in the world other than maybe childbirth can compare to it because everything. <laughs> he's yeah, a dude, the, he, he never. Had no, but exactly, he's like because he didn't want to offend ladies, being like, oh, it's the most painful thing what ever. What is it? It is basically once you've had chicken pox, like you get the it, the sores, so like you can't oh, lay down and like your skin, like it's all so yes, it's uh, really bad. Like my dad big, had shingles. Like one time, my late father had shingles, and it was like he couldn't even stand to have like a bed sheet over him and hurt that bad. Yeah, like the pounds. Yeah. It's like, Does, pretty, ooh, pretty man, that sounds brutal. So anyway, we know Sam Ellinger doesn't have mumps. We know he doesn't have I shingles. Know, we he is. People are going to leave this <laughs> right. and be like, holy hell, Sam Ellinger has measles and shingles. He was no. back at practice Tuesday on a limited <laughs> basis. Should be good to go for the rest of the week, so he's back, ready to go. Is the mumps contagious, though? Is that yes. a locker room issue? I it, have but no. But it's, it's only keeping it's, him away from the team. So, All right, so I'm not I, a doctor, well, and I don't even play 
going on TV. So. I got the I internet. Know. Google machine Matt says is that. Statistician yes, here. yes, I'll look it up. Too bad Travis isn't here because Travis actually <laughs> knows a lot about medicine. But you look at the symptoms and causes. It's uh, when your saliva gets, your glands get infected, and it is contagious. But it's mostly just mm. among children. So, okay. like, uh, you know, it's more of a kid's disease. Interesting. So. Yep, yep. So I've got a it's kid's sort of like disease. a yeah, semi. That it's reminds crazy. me of the strangest injury I think I've ever heard of. Uh, there was a baseball season. I think it was 2014. Dylan Peters had to miss a start because he had, a, if I get this right, an inflamed salivary duct gland. <laughs> That's a bummer. Yeah. That's not funny, but it's just it's not like it hurt like hell. Funny. But I've never heard of that. Yeah, I no, had to hit the Google machine on that one. No, that was just interesting because I mean, because we've had a lot of injuries, and not not all of them have been like football right. related. They've been kind of just random. Afflictions, uh, sickness, you know what I mean? BJ preventable Fo- by vaccine. BJ Foster's go. was not random. He was in the concussion protocol, but he was back at practice Tuesday when the week started in a non-contact setting. Should Again, like Sam Ellinger, by the time we get to the weekend of the second scrimmage, should be full go. Chris Brown had a lung issue. A lung issue. Uh, serious. Probably not going to practice related. at all this week. Should be back at some point next week, so they're going to get him back. Hey, uh, lung issues? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Keandre Coburn's back, right? Keandre Coburn's back from his from kidney, kidney issue. issue. Brew McCoy had a shoulder deal that kept him from being a full participant in practice. He missed a scrimmage, but he was back at practice on Tuesday. Should be fine. It's kind of just a little issue. He's working through. You know, Christian Jones still down with a high ankle sprain to Gabriel Floyd. I don't know if we've gone too deep into the Gabriel Floyd stuff, but he's. What is his issue? Is it a neck? What is it? It is recurring issues dealing with stingers he okay. suffered in high so school. It's a neck, that shoulder. My thing. understanding, and I don't know this to be 100% true, so I hope I'm not talking out of turn here. My understanding is it's something that just kind of popped up when the medical staff started looking into his background. I think it's. You know, they just want to check it out and be sure. Tom Herman said he's already had a bone scan and mm. underwent an MRI over the weekend, so. We'll see what happens with him. Kirk Johnson has a stinger situation going Kirk on. Kirk Johnson Tuesday, got a stinger right? in practice on Tuesday, missed the second half of practice, so he'll be evaluated. We'll see what happens with that. I believe that's all the injuries. I don't think I'm leaving anybody out. Well, just th- the, that's the latest. It's the latest group, right. all right? We didn't get into the stern, the safety position with Stern. Well, yeah, Caden Stearns and Brandon Jones are out for the rest Colin of the Colin Johnson so. watching from the sidelines, and Devin Uvenay just working his way back in a limited manner. I got to say this, honestly, and I've followed a lot of springs around here. I can't remember a spring where this many guys have ended up. You know, injured or banged up. I am hoping, much like you pointed out with DeGabriel Floyd, that this is a staff that's just really proactive and really cautionary. You know what I mean? With with the guys and like, oh no, it's spring, no need to endanger any guy's health in spring. If it's anything that even remotely resembles him in an injury or anything close to it, you're out and done. You know what I mean? Because we just need to work depth with reps anyway with young guys. Mm-hmm. So if you're a guy, especially an older guy, and there's anything, you're like Colin Johnson, you're done, son. You're out. We don't it's like even the care. NBA right now. Yeah, you know what <laughs> I mean? So I hope hopefully that's the case and it's not a something that's foreshadowing. No. You know, the, one of the only things I think that can truly derail next season for the long one. And that's just being injury right. And you sort of brought it up right there, but it can also be a bit of a blessing while seeming like a curse. If like you already know what you got in a Colin Johnson or all these proven players that are injured, you know what their skill sets are or how they work or how their multiplicity could play out. But then this just gives time to those young guys to be able to test without it really mattering. Because once you get into fall, you're already ready and you're trying to specialize your entire roster for that season. When you're in the spring, 
can sort of be a luxury if you're finding more out about these guys in a situation where they're a little more uncomfortable. The injuries that concern me, Rod, and I don't know where you stand on this, you know, concussions, even like knee ligament tear, stuff like that, that's stuff that just kind of happens to everybody. There's no way to really prevent it. Mm -hmm. It's just part of the game. The stuff that concerns me is especially you go back like to the end of Max tenure, like Max last few years, and even at times under Charlie, when guys start having those soft tissue injuries, you know, yeah. quad injuries, hamstring pulls, yeah, calf strains, tears. groin pulls, yeah. stuff like that. When you start getting into that territory, and it's multiple guys dealing with those same issues. That's when I'm like, okay, something's going wrong at the strength conditioning mm-hmm. level. And we found out back then, yes, there were. Systemic gargantuan problems yeah. when you talk, talked about strength conditioning back then. No, I totally agree. Yeah, I don't think it's anything to be concerned about. I, like I said, I, I agree with Matt. I think it's more of a blessing in disguise, if anything. So let's talk about the first scrimmage, and that's going to lead us into uh, the rest of our spring ball talk. And there's something, if we've got time, I want to get to because it's something Matt mentioned last week or a couple of weeks ago. Tom Herman brought it up. I did some research, and the correlation was kind of freaky. But, Rod, this is a scrimmage where – Really, for one of the first times in the Tom Herman era, we hear about the offense dominating a scrimmage. He said mm-hmm. other than two turnovers, one was a Jeffrey McCulloch interception and the other was a bad snap that the defense pounced on. Uh, Tom Herman said the offense pretty much got the better of the defense throughout the day. The thing that excites me the most about the scrimmage, and I'll let you guys take it from here and we can kind of pick this apart, Yes, there was a lot of guys out on defense, right, especially on the back end. Safeties, yeah. But the fact that – and B.J. Foster at that nickel position is a big part of your run defense because he's going to set the edge, and we know the nickel is huge in run support mm-hmm. in the scheme. But the fact that your defensive line linebackers and Joseph Osai at that B-backer, that's pretty much going to be what your starting personnel looks like when you get to August 31st against Louisiana Tech. And that number one offensive line and your tight ends and your running backs on offense – that's pretty much what that group is going to look like, save for a change here, maybe a Parker Braun getting into the starting lineup. So pretty much that's what those units are going to look like. And the fact that this running game, Rod, was able to get yards, get chunk yards against that defensive front, to me that's more of a positive for the offense than it is a negative against the defense because we've heard time and again throughout the Tom Herman era, especially going back to his first year, that there were times the offense couldn't bust a great run of the ball in scrimmage to where they had to tell the defense, hey, we need you to dial it back, you know, not blitz so much so we can actually get some work done. Now it's a situation where because you've got – Offensive linemen that are in their second year under the same offensive line coach for once, mm-hmm. in the same offense for the third year in a row. They've been through this player development program under Gainson McKnight that's as good as Texas has had since any of us can remember. And now you've got an improved Keontae Ingram. You've got a guy in Jordan Whittington who had multiple big runs in that scrimmage, and Jeffrey McCulloch said during that availability you know, Tuesday morning, he said, hey, that's a guy we're chasing a lot more than we should be. Rod, that tells me this running game is might be getting ready to take it to the next level this year. Yeah, I mean, it could, yeah, it could mean either one. I mean, there are a lot of questions we pointed out about linebacker for Texas. Like, sorry, they still, they still are. Like, I know they're no may, they may be set at Jeffrey McCulloch and, and Joseph Aside. Delia Dayaway. Yeah, there are a lot of questions, man. Sorry, it's just are. And if you're going to have the safety support to come down and help those guys, then I really can see why the Texas offense, or at least they should, be able to dominate that defense. <laughs> they really should. Sorry, that's just – I mean, you got your upgrade. It's like a Big 12 defense. Back. Yeah, I mean, that, that <laughs> defense. You're missing arguably the two best players. Or sometimes some people say the three best players on the defense. 
Yeah. <laughs> in the safety, all yeah. that safety. You know so I mean? it's, it's good like, that that's happening because if yeah. they can't move the ball against that, that would mean you have nothing. There. That's kind of what I'm getting to. If you can't move the ball against that group, then holy hell, man, what the hell is going on? Now, you didn't have your starting quarterback in Sam Ellinger. I think it's a big positive that Casey Thompson and Rashawn Johnson are leading those offenses that are having these really, really prolific uh, drives versus the defense. I think that's really good. Um, I agree with you about the running backs being now a more explosive group overall. That's good too. Until you're going up against, I mean, the defense with uh, without the, uh, the you know the health concerns that they have right now. Uh, I mean, I don't know if it means that much to me. Should, so should I not be as excited as I am that for once in a scrimmage we actually heard about this team being able to run the ball, run it effectively, and no. get multiple big runs? No, 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 no. Be excited. I'm just saying let's have perspective and context with it. Right. You know I don't. I, mean? I don't think this is going to be yeah. like the 2005 run game. Yeah. Where, you know what you know. I mean? Look, but I. But 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 to your point. Like I said, that was without Sam, who arguably is the most unique element of the Texas running game. So, you know what I mean? If he's not added to it, imagine that would make the running game even better. That's without, you know, Parker Brown, who's going to be added to the mix on the offensive line. So I agree. I think I'm optimistic about the running game. Um, I guess I'm just taking up for the defense, if that, that means anything. Like, oh, just, I got you. I'm just taking up for them, meaning don't, don't just uh, totally disqualify the defensive prowess on the front just because I know there are a lot of question marks and a lot of injuries on that side yet that haven't been answered. And the, uh, you brought the, you know? the perfect word, just for, good for context, because you know you yeah. can look at numbers and production, and until you get the context of how it comes from, you never really know if it what it is if you're talking about going up against an SEC defense or if you're going up against just some random Pac-12 defense. You exactly know, right. So there's just good context to add yeah. into it. And then it's never bad if you're getting the production that you haven't seen, because if you take away Sam Ellinger from the last two years, Texas doesn't have much of a run game. Agreed. So that this actually now, could show some growth him. because yeah. what you explained, it sort of just sounds like a Big 12 defense, not what Texas was aspiring to be is the only good defense in the Big 12. Well, you take away some of your best players and you're sort of deduced to what the opposition's been the last few years. Yeah, you lost eight starters on that defense. You lost three defensive linemen. You lost one of your best you know, players at the linebacker position. All of your safeties are pretty much injured. That's what I'm talking about. Like, yeah, I want to be reasonable about right. my expectations. But, it's like twos versus twos, basically. But to your <laughs> point, Jeff, I think a couple of years ago, even if that had been the case and they went up against a depleted defense like they went up against this past weekend, they still may not have had any running rushing production. Right. Like the 2010. Is, now the baseline is higher. The baseline is up. No Sam Ellinger. We still can create a, a, you know, a rushing attack that's effective. You know, we infuse talent in the backfield with Jordan Whittington and Kent Ingram, so we're more explosive now. A five-yard run two years ago is now a 17-yard run with those guys. So I see the progress. I just don't want to, you know, I don't want to disrespect the defense considering, you know, the losses they've had recently. You know? we've it's going to take them a little bit longer. Right. We've touched on this a little bit, and I want to get on it for just a minute because for whatever reason, I've written a lot about the offensive line lately on the site. I don't know why. Yeah, but you're doing a good job, I've, too. I've, it's I your roots, that, Rod. as Rod was taking I, up for defense. It's I guess. I just, I've, I've written a lot about that. I feel like I, I feel like I've written almost too much about that group. But uh, and maybe this is me, you know, just being too far into the weeds looking at the offensive line. But tell me if I'm way off base. I think this offensive line in 2019 is more talented than, than the 2018 group. But we know it takes more than just five talented guys to make a good offensive line. Yes, because they're a unit. Okay. Um. Oh, you talking about with the addition of Parker Brown coming and all, and then. Right now, right? No, you know what? Right I, th- now without I, th- I think right, right now, now the, the, the five guys they're okay. rolling out there right now, I think it's a more talented group than they put on the field last year. And what we got? Cosme. Because you start with left tackle, Kerstetter. right? Between Cosme and Calvin Anderson, that's almost a push. Yeah. Left guard, Tope Amade or Patrick Vahe. 
Okay. Center, Zach Shackelford is the same. Right guard, it's Elijah Rodriguez or Derek Kerstetter. Man, Rodriguez was good last year, though. He's nice. What you're bringing up, though, is a lot of local for a right tackle. These guys all worked together, though, last year on that second unit. So it makes sense that maybe they, as individual parts, don't appear to be as good, but as a unit, they may actually have some type of chemistry. No, 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 I'm saying it's the I'm saying it's the other way around, man. I'm saying the the individual pieces are better. I think are better. Then that's right. There's a higher ceiling with this group. I can see that what you're saying because you guys can tell me if I'm wrong. No, no, no. I can see that because you're talking. Cosme right now is your left tackle like Calvin Anderson was last year. But you're saying, man, I think Cosme may have a higher ceiling. I think yeah. he can perform at Calvin Anderson's level right now. Mm-hmm. And I still got more years with that guy. He's still a young guy. Zach Shackelford should be better his senior year than he was last year. Just should. If he's that, just if he's healthy. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. That's the way it's supposed to work out. The only one, what'd you say, the Lodge Rodriguez? Or Kerstetter. I, man, I but I like Kerstetter too, though, and I like the fact that both of those guys are your Swiss Army knives. I was a big man. Lodge Rodriguez really exceeded expectations for me last year, so I really liked him. Well, we uh, go back to that. Focus. Uh, I think he made the uh, All Big Twelve weekly team as a center and as a guard. He was legit. So maybe that one I'm not sure about, but I see you. Actually, three out of those five, I would definitely say higher ceiling right now than they had last year. I and then that. that luxury that they all yeah. work together, really, with that second unit. There can be some that. added chemistry. And yeah, I'll, tell you, yeah. I'll tell you why I like Tope Amade so much. Last year at practice, Tope Amade was the guy that Herb Hand is yelling at all the time. And I take that as, you know what, I think he sees something in that kid. Oh, he likes it. And him. he's pushing him to get right, right. Yeah. You, you know, there's he always one. Of, there's always that yeah. one young guy, and I'm sure you can think back to your he career. Coach Akina had that one young guy. It's like, man, Coach is always riding that guy. But it's because Coach I think he him. thinks there's something there. Yeah, I totally agree. I always say uh, you start worrying when Coach stops yelling at you. That's right. when you need to start worrying. Because I agree with you on that. Man, you, take, you go out to practice and just take a look at Tope Amata getting off the bus. He's 6'6", 340 with like 15% body fat. How much of this is, to your point, even more so, Yancey McKnight, another year with Yancey McKnight, and another year with Herb Hand. And just, or just not yet, but just having an entire year with her. That again. to me is, you know the, what I mean. Like yeah. the, for for those guys who are coming back this year, the the Shacklefords, the the Tope Amadis, the Samuel Cosme, that you've had those two elements, probably the most important, you know, parts uh, of development for an offensive lineman, the strength and conditioning, and then a a great technique coach that can yeah. get your fundamentals, you know, cemented. They got both of those things now. I think now you're seeing an accelerated development, something you may not have seen since you're an offensive line guy that you saw. And that's what I'm excited about. And I made a point to ask Tom Herman. I wanted to ask him about it after the scrimmage because you redshirted all those freshmen last year. Junior Angulo, Rafidi Germay, Christian Jones, and Reese Moore. And I asked him, I said, where does that show up? He said, it shows up just when you put the number two O-line out there. You just see the talent in that group. And even though Christian Jones is out right now, okay, Tyler Johnson's out there running with a number two group as a 6'5", 300-pound True freshman in Rolly who looks like he's chiseled out of freaking granite. Yeah. And now you're starting to say, okay, this is where, number one, recruiting at a high level helps you. But number two, the fact that for the first time in a long time, we're seeing this program get guys and develop them. And with the same old line coach, with the same coordinators, with the same system, yep. now you've got a nice little pipeline going. And the drop-off now when you do have the second team guy coming in or the second group or whatever – it's not as significant as it used to be. You can Hell. scrimmage with that number two group. Now. You know what I mean? It, used it reminds to, me yeah. of like when you saw the O2 class come in with Blaylock and Sutter and Sideline yeah. and all those guys. Like the I first time that. that you can start to have talented depth, not to where you're strategizing. I want a whole second wave like a hockey uh, substitution. It's like, no, we have enough players that we actually have it naturally fill out that way, and then they can actually grow together too. Yeah. 
No, I agree. I think you. Uh, I think you're on. I know. I. I don't think you're crazy. Like you remember going back to your initial point. I don't think you're crazy. I think you're onto something. You remember the spring game last year where they had like the same seven or eight, six or yep. seven, eight, whatever it was, offensive linemen, and they didn't have like a true number two group. They just kind of rotated the same guys mm-hmm. through. Like man, this guy's getting like 120 something <laughs> yeah. snaps today. They're just running yep. that old line into the ground. No, I think this year at the spring game, you can actually see like a, a number separation. two offensive line. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, hey, those guys aren't, you know, it's not like crap through a goose with the D-line getting through it. Yeah. They're actually some good competitive battles. And, Rod, I think with these scrimmages, that to me is the big takeaway is now okay. those line of scrimmage battles, they actually are battles. It's not just the yeah. defense dominating the offense or the offense not having, having, the bodies. Su- having success yeah. as long as that certain group of guys is in there. But when they go out, then all hell breaks loose. No, no, I, I can see what you're saying. I totally agree. And I, and I do think that the Texas defensive line, at least the starting group, which has actually remained you know, relatively healthy throughout the spring, Malcolm Roach, Taquan Graham, um, who they who they playing Gerald inside Wilbon. right now is Wilbon, the starting tackle right now. Yeah, I mean, I do think that's a, a formidable group. Like, I like that group. So if they were able to push those guys around, and you know, you got to watch film to figure out they're pu- they actually moving bodies and they're actually pancaking guys and getting guys on the ground. That's a different discussion. But I mean, that's a that's a that's a talented group. I mean, that's not some scrubs. Uh, my complaint was on the back end of those guys, but I, I think that the, the the offensive line, I think they're going to be ahead of schedule for all the reasons we just listed. But you know, we talk about continuity all the time with the offensive line and just being able to. Uh, have that chemistry with guys around you. I think now, just knowing the technique and because Herb Hand cross trains all those guys, the the football IQ collectively of that entire group is probably getting better and better. And that's yeah. why they don't look like that's not a huge drop off. They don't look discombobulated when there's a second group in there. You go, damn man, these guys don't even know what the hell, what direction they're releasing in. Like, what the hell? Yeah. You know, you don't see just it's that. a sign of a good program. Like it yeah. literally felt like for almost a decade, you were just trying to get a D offensive line out there, any line, and just to so, get five yeah. linemen that are serviceable. Exactly. And that's where Texas seemed to be like since that 2010 season at times. And then now it looks like you might finally have some depth. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I felt like 2013 you had the makings of something, and then you had the coaching change and that really nice offensive line class you signed in 13. Was that guys you had like Donald Hawkins and was that around? That that was the veteran line, yeah. Right, like Hawkins, Hawkins, Mason Walters, Trey Hopkins. Hopkins. That was a good line. They were. They go two of those guys playing the league. And you had you know Darius James and Jake Rollerson. Yeah, they were. They had some talent on that line, but then it wasn't developed. A line too, and it was a line, not two lines. And it never got to get developed because you had the coaching. Changes, then most of those guys transferred out. Great point. That's, actually, I think that makes your point even more. Like that, that deadline was talented, but they underachieved because they didn't. The strength and conditioning, number one, we know that was a bit of uh, inconsistent. And then if continuity anything. now. And Sweet. then, like you said, the offensive line coaches, the offensive system, all that kind of stuff. Everything's yet, been those changing. Those guys went to the NFL level, and the NFL was like, oh, Trey Hopkins? Yeah, you can play here. Oh, yeah, uh, Donald Hawkins? Yeah, you're an NFL guy. At least at least for a little while, you can make a roster. And that says a lot, hell, because we were talking about the streak of Texas not even having an. Uh, NFL lineman that was drafted. So Tony Hills. Tony Hills, 2008. <laughs> and then you had Connor, was it Connor Williams was in 2017 or 18? 18. 18. Yeah, that was a so decade. So you had a 10-year gap. But you still had offensive linemen that made rosters, like four or five of those guys. Well, and Snow made a roster. Yeah, you know what I mean? So guys. you just, like to your point, they weren't developed, though. They went underdeveloped. 
Yep, and then now that you have actual staff continuity, because we had, we talked about it a ton, but like Tom Herman prioritizes after 2010, Mac basically was like a new coach because he was then coaching for the last gasp with the new staff because he had to make that change. He so was. it was like you had the new staff. He was, then so we've yeah. been in these three year intervals, and then you had the same thing with Charlie, and yeah. then now finally you get three years, and Herman's going to be able to have the fruitions of whatever it is. he brought it's in. Job security because when you're a guy like Charlie Strong and he's the end of Mac's career, it's like those politicians who are only and I say some mm. politicians, probably all politicians who are only out to get reelected. Yeah. So they never do the actual job. They never become a statesman. They never it's just time to, to pre-campaign policy. to win. It's, yeah. So every time you just read, that's what Mac did toward the end of his uh, tenure, right? After just the, hold on. The staff, he was just getting reelected. And same thing with Charlie. He's like, damn, I just got to get reelected. I got to keep getting reelected. The damn Harp and got Tom, ripped out in 08 and yeah, 09. And Tom Herman got to the point, and, he, and a lot of his moves that he made, and we even Charlie, Charlie early on, he was making moves uh, to be a statesman and not a politician. As if he had purge, time. As if he had time. But like, he, Charlie, then you lost to Kansas three years, and then you yeah, did. Then sorry, right. you don't have time. And Tom Herman now is acting like a coach who's trying to rebuild the with the fountain and build the foundation, right? Because you can tell he's trying to do things right. He actually is improving policy. Yep. He's actually like, no, 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 we're going for the long term staff continuity. I'm not just going to try to upgrade here, upgrade there. And uh, I think that stuff matters. Uh, what does he call it? Alignment. Alignment. All exactly. Matters, and like yeah. before, and even within those coaches, you then had the changes of coordinators inside yeah. Charlie. Which is also good, by the same way. Same thing with Greg Robinson yeah. coming in. And like you had all sorts of different yeah. times that you changed. So Every year was something new, and kids were having to, like, literally, it's like a beer bong of offense when Sterling Gilbert <laughs> comes in out of nowhere, and then, like, you got to figure out a new offense, and then now you finally have three years in a row that you can maybe For just build upon what you've had. Yeah. Yep. I mentioned uh, David Snow. That just reminded me of a random fact. I don't know if anybody knows this. I think Herb Hand put something out on Twitter. Do you know David Snow now is running the uh, Chick-fil-A over at Barton Creek Mall? Yes, I did. I don't know where I found I saw it on Twitter. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how I found out. My wife and I were at the mall. I think we were doing like <laughs> yeah. Easter Bunny pictures <laughs> or something last year. And like, oh, let's just go get something to eat since we're here. And I'm like. David Snow running the Chick-fil-A. It's Dude, you know what? It's, so a hella, it's a smart move because I remember when I was in the NFL, quick story, then we'll get back on like Texas football, and I was in I was in Lake Forest Hills. Uh, that's where the Chicago Bears have their training mm. camp and everything in their facilities. And I remember thinking to myself, there's no Chick-fil-A's around here. Damn, I should open up a Chick-fil-A. I did all the research and everything, found out it's not, it doesn't take a ton of money to open up Chick-fil-A, but because they are a Christian organization, you literally have to give like Christian references. They want to know what church you go to, <laughs> church members to talk to, and all that. Like That's what your yep. biggest problem Can't is. Can't get in. Yeah, you, you go to Zaxby's <laughs> now. They don't just let you in. He did it. No, no, no. You got to be a true Christian, and or at least one that professes to be a true Christian. Like, so I never opened one up, but I think now there are there are like four in that area. And, dude, I could have opened the first Chick-fil-A, like, in that suburb. You would have been popular. I could have retired. Dude, I could I could be a millionaire, a multimillionaire right now off of that Chick-fil-A alone. Your mom like, always you, told you you'd find a God-fearing woman. And if I always like, said, <laughs> you've never seen a Chick-fil-A close. There are no Chick-fil-A's that are abandoned and no. closed up because they never close. Yeah. You definitely They're wouldn't be sitting good. here with me and Matt talking about spring football. <laughs> 
I, I'm, I'm trying to get my girlfriend right now. Don't take my idea, you SOBs, because she lit her. Well, her, half her, of them her, are heathens listening. So yeah. you okay. <laughs> her mom's in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and they just opened up a, a Popeye's chicken in, in Missoula, Montana. It's a college town. Oh, First man. Popeye's ever. Lines are around the block. That's absurd. For Popeye's chicken. And you know, Popeye's ain't even Give good me some no more. spicy. Yeah. You know, right. so I got okay spicy. Because they, they haven't had fried chicken up there. So I was like, yeah. let's open up a Chick fil A in Coeur d'Alene, which is where like Oprah. Uh, and like the Kardashians, they vacation there, and they all they got is like McDonald's. I'm like, open up a Chick Fil A, dude. I will work it, and we could retire all of us. They're thinking about it, but they won't do it. But she has the Christian reference. She's got like the church home oh. and all that kind of stuff that I need. Yes. So, dude, I've been trying to push them to do it, but somebody's gonna do it. Somebody's gonna make make a million dollars. But David Snow, smart move, opening up a Chick Fil A. Those bigoted bites of joy yeah. is never a bad. Move. And who would have known fellowship of Christian athletes would help out that much? This is true. <laughs> I can use that. I do have some FCA background. I can use that. But yeah, they want your Christian references. I was like, damn it, I don't have enough Christian references. <laughs> so don't take Rod's idea. He's got a he's got a plan. Oh. Oh, there are plenty of small Idaho. towns in Idaho and Montana. Rod, Rod, I'm glad you brought up the D-line because uh, the other interesting bit of information that to track until we get to the spring game that came out of that first scrimmage, I was a little bit surprised considering how much practice time he's missed. Tom Herman saying he expects a really good battle at nose between Gerald Wilbon and Keandre Coburn. And Ooh. I'm not saying that's a that's bad thing by any wow, means. I think great. that's not so much a knock on Wilbon as much as – I think everybody should read into that how much this staff likes Keandre Coburn. Yeah, they've had a really good run, and I've been I, I've been cyber stalking Todd Orlando. I call it rabbit holing, mm. you know, uh, going through Todd Orlando's like uh, personnel and his players that he's had in the last three or four years. His run with defensive tackles, because he's now had access to elite defensive mm. tackles, he's become a more nuanced defensive coordinator, and he's figured out how to maximize and weaponize defensive linemen. Pona Ford was a great example. Ed Oliver before him is a great example. I didn't even go back last year and look at Chris Nelson and look at how he uses Malcolm Roach at D-Tackle sometimes and even Charles Menehu to see how he's getting a little bit more creative on how to use those guys. I'm with you. I think Keandre Coburn is going to be a star in Todd Orlando's defense. And how we used to argue that Pona Ford was the most important player in uh, Todd Orlando's defense uh, two years ago. I think you're going to be able to say that and, and think about the players that are going to be on that defense right? Right. in like two years. It's going to be B.J. Foster and Caden Stearns and Joseph Asai and Taquan Graham and all those guys and Anthony Cook. I think you're going to be saying at one point the most important player on the defense may be Kendra Coburn in like two or three years. Yeah, and when you – That impact was a rock of Gibraltar in the middle. Yeah, you look at Todd Orlando, the two defenses he's had that really stand out, the 20 the, – the really 2015 Houston defense was oh, really good. Oh, they, the, they led the country in forced turnovers. But the 2016 defense – with Ed Oliver and those, and then that 2017 Texas defense with Puna Ford, yeah. we've seen what a legitimate difference maker at nose tackle. And that's not, why they like Coburn. Not to say that yeah. Chris Nelson wasn't a difference maker. Oh, Chris Nelson was no. just a good rock solid exactly. piece in the middle consistent. of your defense. Yeah, just consistent. You knew what you were going to get from Chris Nelson yeah. every single. You need time. a war, you want a war daddy, but. And, and I and think Coburn's between Coburn and Wilbon, Coburn's got that upside. And I, I, look, I like Gerald Wilbon a lot. He's, he's got a, a really fascinating story coming from Louisiana and is one of the hardest workers on the team. He's going to play and mm-hmm. going to be a big-time contributor. But if you're talking about which of these guys can be a difference maker, a guy that if you're an offensive line coach or an offensive coordinator, you got to say, all right, we got to know where player X is on yep. every snap, where he's shaded, that's Keandre Coburn. A guy that demands a double team. Have to have to double team this guy. That's why I pointed a forward one defensive lineman of the year in the Big Twelve. You know, stats weren't through the roof. You had decent stats, but on film, 
every coach went, all right, we're going to double team him on every play almost, and at least we can start to effectively, you know, execute the play because he would just totally disrupt everything from the jump, and then the whole damn play would be discombobulated. I think that's what they, they loved about Ed Oliver. Ed Oliver is mm-hmm. – I mean, think about the athleticism, random uh, athleticism with this guy. I mean, he just ran his 40. He ran like a four – what? Four – we ran a four seven. I'll get five. the exact number, but it I was think it was a there. four seven five. He ran. He had such impressive numbers in his workouts that the Tennessee Titans, uh, Mike Vrabel, says he's thinking about playing him at at inside linebacker or outside linebacker. Either one. Matt, here's another Levon Kirkland <laughs> reference. Oh yeah, yeah we can exactly. bring there you go. Well, and, and you know, Vrabel, Vrabel was there, right? Vrabel was a right. defensive lineman of the year in the Big Ten, I think twice. Yeah, and over to a- the NFL, the Pittsburgh Steelers draft Vrabel first. Who's better? Speak your Kirkland reference at turning defensive linemen into outside linebackers. The Steelers they do it all the damn time, and they did it with Vrabel. And Vrabel I think wants to do it with with uh, Ed Oliver, but he probably Ed Oliver probably won't drop that. And Teddy Bruschi was another one of those. Teddy Bruschi, <sighs> Patriots kind of, and the Patriots like those kind of guys too. Yep, and it was a four seven five that Ed Oliver Freak, ran, man. and then like when you have over a three foot vertical and you put up thirty two reps, like that combination of side oh, speed yeah. and strength and explosivity. I want to say his three cone drill was like faster than Julio Jones. It was some freaking yeah. stuff going on with that dude. I was just thinking it about compares no. to Aaron Donald basically when you look at basically it, and that's is. his body type. He's an Aaron and, Donald starter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you were talking about just Orlando and his weaponization of D tackles, and I'd remembered this whenever we did a show. I think last year, but when you look back even to UConn, UConn in their entire school's history never had a defensive tackle get drafted at any point ever. And then they had two, two. get drafted out of him when from Tartal exactly yep, 2006 class and 10 yep. class and 10 and 12, yeah. and one of them was in the second round. Ed Oliver will be the highest drafted defensive tackle, of course, since Tartalendo, you know, became a defensive coordinator. Puna wasn't drafted at all. Uh, Charles Amenahu is probably going to go in a third. So – the more access he gets to great or better athletes at the defensive line position, his defenses are getting better. Right. And I think that's a good sign for Texas and a good sign for Keandre Coburn. And right. you, well, if you have two defensive tackles like that, man, that'd be, that'd be great. That would be awesome if you could actually have not, – not, not two war daddies because I'm just saying he has one, but even two guys whose baseline is consistent enough where you know there's not a drop-off if I can put – you know, I can put Will Bunn out there, and then I can use a young guy like Keandre Coburn. Because modern D lines, you only play about sixty-seven to seventy-five percent of the snaps at yeah. most, anyway. So then, in those other twenty-five to thirty-three, if you have a guy that's coming in just as serviceable, that's really big. Yeah. I agree. You need both of those guys. And his three cone was 7.15. Basically, if you look at the 40 between Ed Oliver and Aaron Donald, it was off by less than a tenth of a second, less than a twentieth of a second in the three cone. The shuttle, Ed Oliver ran a 4.22. Aaron Donald ran a four three nine, so he's almost two tenths ahead of him there. And then his vertical was four inches more than Donald's thirty six, and then his broad jump four inches more than Donald's. Yeah. But Donald, with those short, stocky arms, had more bench press at three more. Yeah. His short area range quickness is like mm-hmm. Warren Sapp like. Yes. Yeah, I'm not saying that. Uh, that's a good uh, guy that played on the interior that I wasn't thinking about. But you, you talk about the numbers, and you know, Puna Ford's numbers, Rod, like you said, weren't great. And I'm not saying Keandre Coburn's going to be, you know, a guy that gets double teamed and produces great numbers but that just shows you as a nose tackle playing over the ball when you get into that stratosphere of a guy that does take double teams and triple teams and still produces that's what you're you're talking about you know a guy like ed oliver a guy like casey hampton when you know how much they're dealing with extra blockers and then you look and say how the hell do you have 
four tackles for loss in this game. In the game. Like, well, how did you do that? Well, oh, here, yeah. and how we're yeah. talking about context is needed to really and true. Because we hear this number. Yeah. We'll add this one on there for Ed Oliver. His 4.19 short shuttle was one of the fastest times. Antonio Brown's a 4.18. Deshaun Jackson's a 4.19. Yeah. Saquon was a 4.24. No, Saquon and Le'Veon Bell yeah. and Julio Jones were 424, 425s, and he was right up there in the Antonio Brown and Deshaun yeah. Jackson time. He's freaking That's man. insane. Yeah, he's freaky. Like, I would think about That's the never been seen before. Him. Yeah, dude, it's, it's, his combination of skills is pretty extraordinary. They really are. Anyway, I digress. Point is, uh, Todd Orlando, <laughs> I think he, he's getting spoiled now with access to those types of guys. That's why I love that Taquan Graham is kind of the ideal, uh, him and Malcolm Roach actually, kind of the ideal two defensive linemen for Todd Orlando. And I think those are the two guys that are going to have breakout years. I think Malcolm Roach is going to have a – uh, unbelievable year. Glad he's you, my guy. I think he's my MVP right now in that defense. Yeah, glad you mentioned Malcolm Rose because he's the guy I wanted to talk about a little bit this week because, you know, he's a guy that we've seen him play damn near everywhere there is to play in the defensive front. He's an inside back or an outside back or an end. He's played tackle some situationally. But now for what Todd Orlando needs in an end and an odd front, you look at Malcolm Roach now. And Roddy – Man, I don't want to say he's had that like OJ McClintock thing where like his oh. body formed like every yeah. position he was going to play. <laughs> yeah, that guy OJ was a buddy. That's a he, great reference. But you know, he's been a, a guy that's been able to gain weight, lose weight, done whatever they need. But now you look at him, he's anywhere between 290 and 295. That's amazing. With his athleticism. Is he at 290? He's 290 plus. That's like, and you look at crazy, his athleticism man. and what he can do at, at that four eye position. He's the guy that I've heard wow. from behind the scenes that everybody is convinced. Better watch out. He's got, but because and throwing he's the guy, IQ, a coach's kid, like he has everything you would ever want in it. He's, he's got, got going in the last year that, you know, I remember Todd Orlando doing the Sirius XM campus tour stop. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about Roach as like a double digit sack guy. It wasn't a minute who, it wasn't Hager. He said Roach was that guy that yeah. he felt was like a double digit sack type yeah, guy. Aaron Donald from the middle. He, he no. might he might have that ability. He's just gonna have that ability from a different, different spot position. than Todd Orlando initially thought. No, well, exactly. And to yeah. your point though about uh you know Ed Oliver you're talking about how freakish he is that teams are thinking about you know playing him at inside linebacker, outside linebacker, D tackle, D in. Yeah. That's Malcolm Rose. That's a chess piece. I mean he's not as freakishly athletic no. as a Ed Oliver. No, I'm not saying that. But you go but find the, the Louisiana version. Man, that guy you can put almost anywhere on the defensive front and he can produce at a really high level. He carries weight. I mean, we just talking about LeVon mm-hmm. Kirkland. I don't know how he carries his weight so well. I remember last year, wasn't he playing like 270-something last year? I think year? he was like two, 275-ish. 275. I mean, that was what I, I mean, always— we've seen him grow. What was he his, his sophomore year? Of, I mean, his freshman year, he was around 250. He came, probably, he came in at yeah. 250. Yeah. He's amazing the way he can carry weight really well, man. I, and I know like not, Zion, man. Yeah, he just carries it, and it just seems to, he just seems to absorb it really well. When you have that dense muscle mass, like it's the yeah. same thing that you don't look at LeBron and say, oh, he's pushing 280. Like No, there's that dense muscle mass, and some players have it. And he yeah, he's managed to keep his quick first step, and that's what he's got to do. He doesn't have to have a good 40 or anything. No, he just needs he needs to be really fast in five yards. He needs to be able to change direction five yards really quickly. That's why we're amazed at what Ed Oliver doing. And I think he can do that. I think he can, he's shown he can do that. You know, and you look in your 247 profile, the first one had Malcolm Roach at 245 as a recruit. Wow. Then whenever he committed at 270, and now he's at 291 on the Texas. Oh, that's amazing. The, it's like still growing. The deal with him, though, and I think that's why a lot of schools, like LSU being one of them, didn't recruit him because they looked at him and said, man, I don't know what he is. 
I agree with that. Because his, I mean, he didn't really. And you're have, in the country of big, well, but, so like that isn't as much. Yeah. Like a lot of Baby high fast. school kids, he didn't carry his weight well at times. Like, well, where's his body going to go? I just know that Charlie Strong staff, a good evaluation by that staff, yes. yeah. they recruited him and said, look, we think at the end of the day, and I, I remember one person on, on that staff saying, we think at the end of the day he could end up being a damn good defensive tackle. We think his body could get to that point. Yeah. And look at him now, like I said, between 290 and 295, maintaining that athleticism, I, I think Malcolm Roach. And, again, Rod, with Malcolm Roach and Taquan Graham, and you throw Keandre Coburn in there as your nose with Joseph Osai as that B-backer, the ability now to have guys who can play different shades and do different things and up all front. Rush, and all front. rush the passer really well. And and, and this yeah. this could be Todd Orlando. Even oh. though you lose Hager and you lose Amenahu, this could be his best team when you talk about just being able – to put guys on the field who can get after the quarterback. Well, this might be his best Well, run. these are, and we've also brought this up, these are the guys that for the first time in like 10 years for Todd Orlando, close to it, these are the guys that he picked out specifically to play spe- uh, certain roles on his defense, right. within his defensive uh, philosophy. He hadn't had an opportunity to do that at U of H, at Utah State, at uh, you know, Florida mm. International, wherever the hell he was at. He, he didn't have the he time. Had the, he didn't have the chance. through the leftovers. Yeah, he was only there for two years, so now – we actually may see the best, you know, uh, of the Todd Orlando defenses just because he's now been he's Taylor Taylor picked all these guys specifically, you know, to play the B backer role or the pay defensive tackle role. But I, I know I just I'm I'm always amazed at Malcolm Roach. I think Malcolm Roach, because of his versatility, he's gonna give your and him and Taquan Graham too, they're gonna give your defense a different dimension that they didn't have before with the ability to be multiple, not only from down to down, but within the down, because that guy can shift from a defensive end with his hand in the dirt to a defensive end standing up, or we can go ghost front with all those guys standing up, and he can be inside, Taquan Grant can be outside. I mean, there's so many different options to just confuse quarterbacks, and that's what Todd Orlando's really good at. They call him the arts of the, art, uh, the master of the art of confusion. Part of that's because he's had a lot of guys that can play multiple positions up front. That's going to be good for him. It's going to be great for him. So, anything else, Rod, that you heard, Matt, that you heard from the scrimmage that you want to bring up before we um, move on? I do or... want to get into the the, the wide receivers. Uh, Malcolm Elps got a lot of love from Tom Herman. A lot of love, yes. A lot of love. I think Tom Herman likes the fact he's a matchup nightmare. So, let me get this straight, though. He's 6'6", uh, just like Colin Johnson, but he weighs by 20 pounds more than Colin Johnson. Uh, and he's a little bit – people Elps? saying he's a little faster than Colin Johnson? I don't know about that. Um Weight wise, what is Epps? Probably 220, 230. I heard he's a little bigger than that. I heard he's close to 240. Uh, I don't know if he's in the 240 range. He came in as a tight end, didn't he? I know, I got to look and see what he's listed at on the spring roster. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, all I know is listed at 245. Yeah, he's 6'6, he's What I'm told is he's bigger okay. than Colin Johnson and looks like he may have a little bit of a, of a burst in Colin Johnson. If not, Colin Johnson's not a speedster anyway. I mean, so he's not like there's that much of a difference. Hmm. I just think that Tom Herman likes, he's starting to fall in love with that giant X, man. That it's big, like Calvin Johnson started yeah, kid at that, that size. Big six, giant, six, yes, the big X <laughs> that if he's one on one, that 50 50 ball is immediately. An 80-20 ball, throw it up to him every damn time. And I think at the Z, you can see that speed is a priority at the Z because, you know, John Burke played the Z and Devin DuVernay, and I think they got Eagles there now at the Z. Yep. 
He likes speed, so he basically wants to take a top <laughs> to take the top off a of defense on either side, but different ways. Yep. Over here, I'll take it off with a six six guy that your small yeah your small corner can't cover, so you better have a safety on the top of him. And on the other side, I'll just run right one past on your one. safety, so get on the top of him. But either way, it's just backing safeties off. I love it. I, so I think he he strategically he likes those skill sets at those positions because and Brendan and obviously Brendan Eagles and Malcolm Epps. Or like um, you know, obviously the B team or the the second unit behind Duvernay and behind Colin Johnson, but now that you have you know multiple guys you can rotate who also can fill those specific tasks at those spots. I think the offense, man, I think that pro spread is looking more and more explosive by the day. And it's exactly what you were just saying about Orlando and being at Texas and finally getting to recruit those type of bodies or the Ed Olivers. It's like you couldn't get a 6'6 blazing fast guy to be an outside receiver and come to play with you at Houston when you're head coach. Or like, yeah, you'd love that luxury, you know, when you're a coordinator, but you aren't able to do it. Right now you're at Texas. You can start landing those type of pieces that you want if you see that. that mold. Good point. I think this is more to, to from what Matt just talked about. I think this is more of Tom Herman being at a place like Ohio State where you can recruit mm-hmm. kind of whatever you it. want and seeing what Urban Meyer valued in, in that pro spread offense and Tom Herman saying, yeah, but you know what, if if, if I had my program on those offense, I, I would do it a little bit different. I would I would want maybe a little more size mm-hmm. in my X receiver, maybe a little more speed in my Z yeah. receiver or, or whatever. Or Michael Thomas. Yeah, whatever <laughs> the case. But to to your point, Rod, about Malcolm Epps, you know, X is a position to this offense now, and I've heard this behind the scenes for a while, and Tom Herman's kind of come out and said it. That's a position where they will sacrifice a little bit of speed, maybe some athleticism. If you've got a guy that can just go up and go win a 50-50 ball. ball. And, and when we talk, you, the conversation about not having a 50-yard play from scrimmage last year, that gets brought up a lot in the offseason. But I thought Sam Ellinger in his media session earlier in spring practice made a great point. When you talk about the explosive plays Texas in the passing game last year, said you're not trying – he said other than some of the balls he threw to Duvernay, like the one against West Virginia, that it wouldn't have mattered if that was from 60 or 70, that was going for a touchdown. Yeah. Most of the balls he threw down the field – were 50-50 balls where it's not where a guy's not going to get a lot of yards after catch he's probably catching it and falling down right where he is he's mossing somebody yeah Yeah. so that's kind of that deceptive number uh but yeah no x is a position where they that's that's the playmaking position in this offense it's it's not so much about speed or anything like that. It's just can you go up and can you go win a 50-50 ball more yeah. often than not. Well, all the different um, offensive um, initiatives uh, that Tom Herman's implementing is to get a one-on-one basically on the outside with those guys. You know what I mean? So whether you you're defending the power breaker. running game, yeah. And even with the Y position, the Lou Jordan Humphrey played last year, which will be, I don't know, this year, Jake Smith. What's the H? Uh, the H, they sorry. Call it the, H. Uh, the H position. It'll, you know, it's all meant to get the 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 one on one. And if you can get the one on one, then Tom Hearn believes he already won. Well, like and it's up to your game breaker, won. and that's yeah. the one thing we sort of said that Texas didn't have the last few years was having somebody that is able to literally break. Now Duvernay has that speed to be it, but if he's now occupying, you know, the verticality of the offense, it's opening up everything underneath. So if you don't have somebody that literally in that one-on-one battle makes somebody miss or is just a better athlete than them and gets past them, you aren't going to have 50-yard plays inside your offense, and that's sort of like the last piece. Like when Texas fans first 
first saw Keontae Ingram, we're like, oh, that guy might be able to break something. But it was like yeah. the, you only have certain players like that. It's like when he was a freshman, well, Jamal Charles, all right, now you can break anything. That's what Vince Young was. But, like, that's the if you get that next element. When you look at what Texas had this past year, Ellinger can move the chains, but he's a guy that's not going to break that big play. The same thing with Colin Johnson, not necessarily going to break that big play. Talk about not having a tight end be able to go down the seam and that being not even in the offense before. It was like, okay, well, if you don't get it over the top to Duvernay, it's the only guy that has any type yeah. of skills. And, like, you saw him with some 45-plus yarders, but nothing that's going to break. And that's the one sort of thing that was missing from Texas is that explosivity. You look at all the metrics, and Texas wasn't good in that either last year. Yeah, it's going to help. It's not you. designed that way. No. It's going to help your 11 personnel group and two rod or whether you're 10 personnel or whatever. The fact that Eagles was at the X all year last year and learned the X, and now he's learning Z. And, you know, you can put Colin Johnson – the field side, the short mm-hmm. side, whatever you want, uh, and now now you got Malcolm Epps learning the X. You can really any combination of those three guys now can work. Like, can you imagine a red zone package where you've got Colin Johnson and Malcolm Epps on the field at the same time? Oh, I totally agree. Yeah, I, I playing think, on a different plane. Yeah, I mean, you talk about saving Sam Ellinger, saving Sam Ellinger's body and not having to bang him around in the red zone as much. I mean, last year we talked about it. Hell, Colin Johnson six six. They never threw to him in the red zone. They didn't need to. No. I mean, because they had already the best red zone weapon in the country in Sam Ellinger, Bam Bam Sam. But I totally agree. I think both of you guys hit the nail on the head. Um, Tom Herman wants to be more explosive, but I agree with you, Matt. He, the, the offense is not necessarily designed that way, but you can design it that way. You can have more bunch formations to basically have bu- force busted coverages. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where, where, where you know, mm-hmm. which actually against Texas has happened a lot, <laughs> where guys get kind of lost in translation. It's like, oh, no, I forgot about that guy because he's running free because we had a crossing route, route at the, yeah, exactly, at the mm-hmm. mesh point. So that's on Tom Herman them too. Like you can you can get you can these guys. Them. Yes, you can scheme them into situations where they can have a uh, you know an open field one on one with the guy, and you can break bigger plays. But I do think at its at its core, this offense is not necessarily built like that. It's not. It's built to just get one on ones. Mm-hmm. It's like Sam Ellinger get a one on one with a, a linebacker uh, when you have the, the you're <laughs> emphasizing the quarterback run game. That's what he wants. That's why he likes a running quarterback, and he loves Sam Ellinger as the power element of uh, the quarterback like the Houston game. Rockets. Or, just get yeah. the switch well, and let the one-on-on well, exactly. win with Harden Or Colin, or Colin Johnson, the right? Or, or they're going to go one-on-one. Okay, we're throwing 50-50 balls. We got the automatic check in there for that. Or Lil' John Humphrey, same thing. So I, I the Warriors same thing with Keontae open. Ingram. It's designed, you know, the running game is designed. You make one guy miss. So I think that's how it's designed, but mm-hmm. I think he's got to change the things up. Larry Fedora's a big part of that, too, yep. of getting guys strategically open where they are open in more space, like the air raids often do with the mm-hmm. air raid offenses. They get guys open in space, ball in hand, they can run, like catch and run. And I think that's what Tom Herman's going to try to emphasize more And the pass-catching running back is really big and in that, too. Because, back. I mean, yeah. you Trey Watson was a guy to fill a gap. It was a stop. It was good. It was serviceable, but it wasn't what you envision as yeah. a guy that will break that. But if you recruit the right guy in, and yeah. right now you look like you have some explosive athletes that can change it up. You Eric Metcalf or somebody like that. Yeah, if you go yes. back and watch oh, some Herman's play. Jay Johnson on this team right now would be oh, the perfect God. piece. Or DJ Monroe. If yeah. you go back and watch some of the films from Herman at Houston with that offense, they they did stuff because they didn't have a lot of guys, to Matt's point earlier, they didn't have a lot of guys that could go win a one-on-one battle, so you had to scheme guys open. And they yeah. did a lot with bunch formations where, oh, yeah. you know, maybe on one play you have – the guy closest to the closest to the line of scrimmage, closest to the formation. Maybe you have him on a delayed release, and then you show that exact same formation, mm-hmm. and then the guy closest to the boundary. Now he's the guy on the delayed release. So it's just different things you can do. Yep. But now, now that you're far enough into this pro spread, where you can really, you know, 
install whatever you want at this point because you've got guys that have run it. You've got guys that are familiar with your terminology. Not only do you have guys that naturally create one-on-ones themselves, we're not even talking about a guy like Josh Moore who can blow the top off a of defense yeah. with his speed. You have guys that can create their own one-on-one matchups, and now you've got the ability to go scheme it, as you said, about Larry Fedora. I think is going to be a really big part of it. I think Andre Coleman's also going to help mm-hmm. in that area too, just his knowledge of the receiver position, how much he's worked with those guys and being an offensive coordinator in this league. So, again, I think it just goes back to something we talked about going into spring, and we're seeing it now, kind of the evolution of the pro spread. It's been yeah. – kind of whatever you needed it to be week to week. But I think now going forward, you're going to have to see this offense have a real identity week in and week out. I agree out. that, no doubt. <clears throat> All right, there's one more thing I want to get to this week before we wrap it up. And, Matt, you had mentioned, I don't remember if it was last week or the week before or maybe the week before that, about the differential between the number of plays run and the number of plays your defense face and why mm-hmm. ball control is so, so important to this offense, to this Tom Herman blueprint. Oh, yeah. For victory, we just got done talking about the explosive plays. And, you know, he Tom, he's talked about it a couple of times this spring about the whole not having a play of over 50 yards. And his response, what he's been asked about, he said, well, you know, everybody wonders how do you win 10 games, you know, play for the Big 12 title, beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl, you know, not having to play over 50 yards. He said, you turn the ball over only 11 times in 14 games. Mm-hmm. So I started just looking at kind of the correlation between, ball control. you know, ball, that, that, just that ball control, mm-hmm. not turning it over, protecting yeah. the football, keeping your defense off the field. And mm-hmm. I just started breaking down the numbers, and I'll, just, I'll give the numbers to you guys. This is an article I did on the site, and I'll – tweet this out i've got some stuff that i need to tweet out i've got kind of a backlog right now um i'll give these to you guys you guys can do whatever you want for the rest of the time we've got on the show so the texas offense ran an average of 74.6 plays per game and i'm using the data from the official texas statistics that are on the school's website uh 74.6 plays per game for the offense the defense faces an average of 70.1 plays per game um, and I'll just read from my article here. And you said offense was 74. 74.6. Okay. Did I get that backwards? No, no I, I might have. I just oddly, the, the main source where they have them, where I go to my sites, had I thought you said the same thing. Uh, 74.6. Yeah. Uh, for Texas, turnovers and plays per game went hand-in-hand hand in terms of a blueprint to follow for victories in 2018. Ten wins saw the Longhorns own the play differential by an average of plus eight point eight and a half plays per game in in every game. And Texas won the turnover margin. They won the turnover battle in nine of their ten wins. In their ten wins, they were plus 13 in the turnover margin. When you look at their four losses, they lost the play differential by an average of 5.8 plays per game, and they lost a turnover battle by minus four. The play differential to me is the one that really jumped out because when you started looking at play differential, like you go back and look at the regular season game against Oklahoma, I think Texas was like plus 17 in play differential. Yeah, I mean, that's just right. an astronomical number. You're just yeah. keeping Kyler Murray and that off offense the off the field. But, Rod, you look at the four losses, and you say, okay, minus 5.8, basically minus six plays per game. The opponent's running six more plays per game than you. That might not seem like a big deal. Mm-hmm. But you look at the games they lost, yep. the Maryland game, Close the Oklahoma games. game in the Big 12 championship yep. game, West Virginia, West Virginia and Oklahoma State. Think about the number of explosive plays Mm-hmm. Texas gave up in those games. So if you're just talking about one of those, the uh, against Oklahoma State, the Tylen Wallace touchdown right before the half. Yep. 
you know, Maryland scoring on the trick play in the first half. Oh, yeah, the, the double pass or whatever, the yeah. reverse pass or whatever they threw. Yeah, that yep. one. Or even the West Virginia one. I mean, that literally came down to one play at the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and what's crazy is, like, yeah. not only do the numbers <laughs> totally align with it, but then because when you are the Joneses, the best way to get away from variance and to be able to get the best sample is a larger sample size. So the more plays that you get, the better team's going to prevail, yeah. and that's the tempo. The on your and side. it's the same thing yeah. that teams at Tank do, and you'll see some NBA teams that just start running when they're bad like Atlanta because if you want to lose, just put more possessions out there. And if you're bad, you're going yeah. to have more deteriorating to returns. Yes, yeah. yeah, so like when you're a team like Texas, you want to get the plays not only because it can work – to your advantage, and you can manipulate how much the opponent's playing, all that. But then yeah. also, it's going to give your guys more of a true sample of how good they are because yeah. over more plays, they're going to end up extending more time. Yeah, if you have better players, then if I have more opportunities for them mm-hmm. to win matchups, that favors you. Decrease me. variance. You want to limit the plays because you know you're overexposed. Look at if the, you have you're exposed to my players for too long. We're going to win yeah, eventually. I.e., yeah. when you, you watch the Final Four, you're going to see yeah. the opposite version yeah. with what teams like Virginia and Tech are doing that maybe don't have the one and done or the yeah. best players, but they're like, they're no, well, we can down. strategize they're this. They're mucking it up like yep. K-State does. K-State does. <laughs> K-State when you have yeah. a built-in, if you, yeah, you yeah. don't want to necessarily do that against the best teams is give them more opportunities to I score against you. you. No, it's, it's, uh, it's simplistically brilliant. So when we talk about – this offense being more explosive, yes, they need to create more chunk yardage plays. They need to make use of these weapons you've got, the, the Jordan Whittingtons of the world and the, and the Josh Moores and, and yeah. Brew McCoy, again, if he's eligible this fall. But, Rod, I think what Tom Herman's getting at when he mentions only turn it over 11 times in 14 games, that's how you were successful. I think he knows you can't get away from this being the core of who you are, which is taking care of the football, yeah. being really good on third down, extending drives, finishing drives, all of that stuff goes into winning. You're just you're doing that. You're just adding on to it with the explosive play element. But this right here, the being kind of that nitty gritty team where we're kind of those those old school n- numbers that people really cast aside now. Third down conversion 40, rate, forty rushes and stuff. Third like down that, conversion yeah. rate, carry the ball. For, you know, eight no last year when you ran it forty yeah, times. Yeah, Time connected. of possession. Yeah, those statistics are. Just yeah, astronomically it, huge. They're all connected. Yeah, they have to remain a part of your core. Right, now you can start getting to some crazy RPO stuff and all that. That's really cool, but yet your core, you got to make sure you're taking. And you know what the truth is? All those things you pointed out, bro, they all come back to Sam. Yeah, they yeah. all come back to Sam. Like that third down conversion, because mm-hmm. when we talk about how often when Texas gets into a third and short, a third and three or less, then Sam Ellinger is almost automatic. You know Power what I mean? Stretch every um, time. Yeah, you know what I mean. Taking care of the football, you take care of the football better than any quarterback. Hell, honestly, that we've seen, even even in the last fifty years, I mean, he take care of the football better than Colt McCoy and Vince Young did. Sounds yeah. crazy to think that, but I'm looking at my head, I'm like, yeah, he actually had the record. So yes, he did. So it all comes back to Sam. If Sam is as thoughtful uh, as he was last year, as taking care of the football, and he can he can increase the reward by continuing to minimize the risk because mm-hmm. that's what you want to do. You want Because usually when you try to increase the reward factor, what they want to do, they want more explosive plays. They want to get the ball in the hands of their playmakers. You end up, as Matt knows, increasing the risk too. Mm-hmm. So turnovers usually go up a little bit too. What they want to do is 
keep the, uh, the the risk where it is or even minimize it even more than now that Sam's an even more so a veteran quarterback, but you want to increase the reward as much as possible. So that is, that's, the, that's the conundrum for them. And then when you out. just talk about it going full circle and looking at how it plays out, it's like not necessarily that if you just run and then have time of possession, you're going to win games. It's like, no, but if you can't do those things, then you're screwed. If you're you screwed. can't, and that's the main thing is yeah. you have to be afforded the luxury to be able to do this to deploy this type of tactic. There will be other games when you aren't going to be able to be afforded that luxury because you have to throw to get back in the game. But whenever yeah. it is aligning your way, if you can go out there and now convert that third and short to get you the next set of downs, to continue to run, to yeah. continue your play count, to continue to keep the deep offense off the field, those things are the type of building blocks that get you the team that then at that point you can go and then if you add in RPOs, you become a full, all well-rounded team and now the yeah. defense doesn't know where it's going. I think Rod where where the explosive plays helped you is it increases your margin for error. And we know this offense last year yeah. had a pretty thin margin for error. And, and where that comes into play, and you talk about Sam, there's three plays that, that stick out to me. One is the forced interception on the last drive against the Maryland, Maryland game. If he just eats that play and you're still alive, hell, maybe you go win. Maybe you win that game. Well, we, now we know about Sam. It's possible. You could have right. won the game, yeah. Um, go a little further. The failed fourth down conversion in the West Virginia game. Oh, brutal. If he just if he's able to keep his feet or if he converts that, there's no question at that point you're they punching it in. And, and against West Virginia, you had 39 official rushing attempts. If you continue that drive and you get to 40, you probably win the game. Yeah. And right. then we talk about you know how careful he was with the football. The one time when he really got careless when it really mattered was yeah. the 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 blitz off the hash in the Big 12 championship game, which is what we all know now was them getting way outside of their character because they had, they had only done it like two or three times the entire season in that coverage against that formation everything. It so just happened to be. It just happened that. to be right there. And then Sam should be ready for it. That's his job. But, yeah, I mean, it just didn't show up on film. <laughs> no. And yeah, and it was good for Oklahoma. It was a good call. So you're right. All the, It all kind of comes, comes back to Sam taking care of the football and Sam's maturity. All of those things you pointed yep. out. And that's what the beauty of having your guy at the mm-hmm. quarterback position gives you. You now have your identity. You now have the blueprint. You know how to win. Yeah, you know it, how to win with Sam. You know how to win with Sam. You know how to beat almost any team in the country. Now, Clemson and Alabama are in their own category. But based on what we saw versus Georgia, you know how to beat almost any team in the country with Sam Ellinger. And you trust that you can do it because you've seen him learn because his freshman year, and then even we displayed the first uh, game against Maryland had a turnover issue. Second game, there was even that play, the fumble against Tulsa that I remember being triggering in my mind and being like, okay, well, if we continue to turn it over, we're going to be in trouble. And then he didn't do it for 10 games, which is awesome. And that's where you gain that trust of your teammates and your fans that, no, he's going to go out there and move the ball and get the ball in the end zone at the end of this drive. And that just empowers the rest of the team and you sort of feel like you try, you know, you buy into what you've been trying to not get the results, but you never got the results, and you started to see yeah. the results this year. Yeah, so that's I think it all comes back to him because now you know exactly, and it goes back to the things you brought up about the ball control uh, and you know third down conversions, third and shorts. That Sam is the guy now, and I think it's more of him taking ownership of that offense. Basically, is yep. why now the identity of the offense is more suited toward his particular skill set or his set of skills. Is that Tom Herman's like, no, no, no. Unless I'm playing Bama or at Clemson, I may have to do something outside the norm. But even going up against in a shootout versus Oklahoma, or in a a struggle versus an SEC line of scrimmage team like Georgia, Sam can win. Like I I, I know how to win with Sam. Yeah. 
Clemson and Bama are the hourly. They are the uh, the outliers. I don't know if anybody knows how to beat Bama and Clemson with just one guy, but you know, with anybody else, I think Sam could win. Get that yourself game. there. See what happens. One game sample. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Even Kyler Murray, like it didn't apply versus Bama. It's like, yeah, you can do all that, and you still may get dominated because it's freaking Bama, yeah. and they'll get dominated by Clemson because it's so. Like those two are the outliers, but everybody else, dude. That's why that Georgia game was all about. Sam Ellinger can beat any team in the country, not named Bama or Clemson. And then get yourself that. And guy. I just don't know about that. We know of. That and then know that's of. the main thing go. is we well, but you don't have to play them until like possibly the championship. It, that's, that's a great so problem like, to have to worry about. Yeah, if, that is my, if I'm stressing out because I don't yeah. think Sam can beat Bama at Clemson, what a great life. What a first-world yeah. problem Seeing we all have. crazier stuff happening <laughs> yeah, at that point. Exactly. In the seven years, and this is, we'll close it out on this, in the seven years, guys, that we've done this show, we've never been anywhere remotely close to being able to say that about the quarterback position here. Oh, yeah. No. No, no you're right. We, honestly, that yes. just shows Saying you. it felt weird. I'm not going to lie. Saying it felt strange. But, that just, but, <laughs> but Rod, to say it with a straight face and be like, okay, yeah, that's that's pretty accurate. It felt that weird. That tells you that that if you're, if, you're, if you're still for some reason on the fence whether or not Sam Ellinger is the guy, that right there should let you know that you've yeah, got the guy. And you can say that, and that's not asinine. That's not ridiculous. No, Sam Ellinger can beat any team in the country. Not named Bama or Clemson, and that's just two. We don't know about those two teams. Yet. This isn't me writing preseason articles on yeah. how David Ash might wind up being a Heisman contender by some yeah, chance. It does, you know, which yeah. I did. I'll, I remember those articles. Yeah. I remember those. Yeah, it's yeah. off season. Why gotta you gotta have content in the off season, man? Oh God, thank God for those days are done, or at least yeah. for now, anyway. Yes. Uh, Matt, thanks for everything, man. You are more than welcome. Rod, we appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 104.9, 1019 AM 1260, streaming on the Horn app at hornfm.com. You can get Rod each and every weekday on the Rodcast from 1 to 3. Shameless plug. Get this podcast on Megaphone, Apple Podcasts. By the way, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If Boom. you get a chance, five stars would Great be welcome. Nice. Anywhere else you get your podcast, and thanks to Matt, you can always get our classic interviews, all of our archives on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I am Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.